Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Once again, here with uh, Steve Cooper, our host. Hey, Steve. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. Thank you. Baseball's coming upon us. I know. Opening day is Monday. Yeah. I'm going. That's I'm going, right. baby. Fantastic. I got to wait a week and a half to get to go see the Sox, but uh, I'm not really in a hurry at this rate, right. <laughs> given the state that they're in. They're having a, a difficult spring, but but hope springs They called me and wanted to see if I wanted to play third base. I told them I was busy. Well, you know, you're probably in better shape than than Panda Bear, so uh, <laughs> get you. Get you I could there. definitely outrun that guy. <laughs> Get get your glove and come on up. But uh, you had a uh, let's get to business now. We had a, you've had a great conversation with uh, Carol Clayton. She is the yeah. CEO of Care Management Technologies, and it's a, an area we really haven't explored in depth in the podcast, the behavioral health space. What yeah. is what does Care Management Technologies do? They're a uh, data analytics company, pop health company for um, behavioral health, and uh, you know we touched on behavioral health I think once with Jan Bruce in terms of talking about. Uh, anxiety and stress. That's right. Um, but this is more associated with uh, medicated diseases of mental health, uh, pain, opioids, for example, opioid addiction, uh, depression, uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. And these, these diseases exist in the population today. A lot of Medicaid patients uh, have them. Uh, and, and her company identifies those patients and, and tries to, um, you know, provide software to allow payers and providers uh, to track them and deliver the appropriate care uh, to patients with, with mental illness. And we should note this is, uh, this is a company from your portfolio. Silo's portfolio company. I also have the honor of being chairman of the board. And I've known Carol since, well, before 2011, but she's, she's been there since as the CEO since around 2011. And this space is really, uh, is, I don't know how opiates could be on fire, opiate abuse, but it's an area that's getting a lot of attention <laughs> and in need of, of solutions. So, Yeah, I think, I, look, it totally makes sense to integrate these two, two ideas. The idea that uh, mental health uh, has a, a, a serious effect on the way people heal or on the progression of chronic illness. Uh, certainly, people with schizophrenia have... Uh, many comorbidities and they they're very difficult to treat if they're not medicated and compliant with their medication as one example and of course op opium opioid addictions are are a major issue uh in the population and she'll get into some data that's that 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 shows that through their their tools they can they can prevent people from becoming uh, addicted great all right well let's uh let's get into this conversation and uh, i'll be rooting for the astros on monday yeah thanks a lot buddy <laughs> Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Carol Clayton, the CEO of Care Management Technologies. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. So, uh, you know, welcome. I'm glad we could finally talk on the, on the podcast. I've been looking forward to having you as a guest uh, since I got started here. So I'm glad thanks. you could do it. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to do it as well. And, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, having this um, discussion with you. So, you know, there's this notion out there, and I, and, you know, since a lot of my friends are psychiatrists and psychologists, God bless them, right, that uh, behavioral health or mental illness or however you want to define it has, 
has an impact on physical health and physical well-being and, and the healing process. Um, but we, I think we have a, a market that has generally evolved to where they are not necessarily integrated. Can you talk to me first before we get into your company about how, you, how the behavioral healthcare market works uh, relative to, say, the, the general medical market? Um, sure, the, and you, you are right, the way the health system has evolved over time, and you're probably aware of this, but with behavioral health particularly, we have traditionally in the United States been a parallel, um, for lack of a better word, service system for behavioral health. And that really came about through the evolution of insurance coverage, uh, first for physical health and then advocacy around coverage for mental um, health issues. Um, so, you know, what was a very positive um, you know, push forward to address behavioral health concerns, um, you know, back, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, um, resulted in a, a delivery system that was quite bifurcated in terms of medical or physical health conditions and beha behavioral health conditions. The market today still looks mostly like that. Um, you know, there has been you know, obviously, you know, very uh, clear awareness now that, and, and think about your own life, you know, you don't, you're not separated within your own body of your physical health disorders and your um, behavioral aspects of your condition or perhaps any uh, behavioral health disorders that you are um, uh, dealing with. They all are in your person. Um, so when you present for health care, you're bringing all of that with you. But our service system generally is not aligned that way. There has been movement very recently, I would say, in the 21st century to um, move not only payer organizations but provider systems to um, be more integrated in their approach to physical health care combined with behavioral health care. But I think largely we are in a shifting environment uh, and for the most part, behavioral health services continue to be delivered um, outside of the physical health care setting so that, um, you know, you're, you're looking outward of the physical health um, system to identify behavioral health providers and um, get specialty care, if you will, for those kinds of conditions. Um, and... Uh, it's interesting because, so when I think about behavioral health, and I just want to make sure we're talking about the same, I, I think about uh, depression, obviously, mm -hmm. and then I, I think about anxiety. That would be probably one, one area that we've all experienced at some point in our lives. And then I think about, um, you know, the more, um, the more unusual forms or the less prevalent forms of behavioral health, like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and so forth. Is that, is that, are those, is that really the categories of behavioral health that, um, that people deal with most frequently? Are there others that I'm not thinking, thinking about? Oh, well, I think those are general, um, particularly depression and anxiety, um, you know, would be, you know, very um, general categories of behavioral health conditions, um, very prevalent uh, in the population. I think, you know, one in three people across the course of their lifetime will experience a depressive episode or an um, anxiety disorder episode. Mm -hmm speak of behavioral health more broadly, 
um, and another very um, you know sort of serious impact would be in the substance use substance disorder area. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, very often um, folks who are dealing with, you know, either overuse or dependency um, of um, medications, alcohol, um, tobacco even, um, the, you know, that is often under-recognized in terms of its impact in recovery of physical health or exacerbation of chronic health conditions. Um, you know, if you take it out even more broadly, and we certainly do this um, at, at the company I work with um, because we're looking very broadly at behavioral health disorders, including impact of developmental conditions, mm-hmm. um, you know, things in the area of um, intellectual disabilities, um, you know, mental retardation, um, other kinds of um, uh, disabilities that might be uh, uh, also impacting uh, persons uh, in terms of their um, overall health. So for us, it goes out that broadly. I think in the general population, you know, substance use and depression and anxiety are uh, very common, you know, across the, um, the, the population in general. Interesting. Interesting. So care management technologies, I'm used to calling it CMT. We can call it yeah. that, right? Is that okay? We'll just say CMT. Um, so what is your, your you have a have a uh, basically a, a population health data analytics solution for behavioral health and you know what is the product and uh, what is the value proposition Yeah well it is um, we are a data analytics company and uh when you say for behavioral health I would reframe it just a bit mm-hmm. in the sense that we our, our expertise is really in looking at very large data sets and, and looking at it in terms of the impact of behavioral health disorders on overall health. So what we do really is um, uh, supportive of general health care, uh, but we come at it with that special expertise of where are there impacts around behavioral health disorders, be they anxiety, depression, substance dependency, or others, and that impact on exacerbation of a physical health condition, uh, prolonging recovery for certain um, disease states, um, perhaps um, influencing um, even the um, generation of a physical health disorder. There's now research that points to the fact that behavioral health disorders can, in um, over time, also result in um, chronic um, health conditions that um, kind of emanate from that long-term uh, stress of um, anxiety or depression. Hmm. So I think that's you know, probably true. Yeah, I can see that. I can see certainly cardiovascular exactly. issues uh, from exactly. anxiety and depression. Pressure, yeah. um, you know, cardiovascular, and so there is, you know, beginning evidence that not just behavioral health. Um, exacerbates recovery from, you know, health conditions, particularly chronic health conditions, but also concomitantly, there are certain conditions that are more likely to um, um, present themselves Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. persons who have had um, longstanding behavioral health um, concerns. Um, So there's a risk factor, um, you know, uh, on both ends of that continuum. So yeah, so uh, so how does the product work? How how do you what what does the product do? And, yeah, so, and, and, so and what, what it, we what... do 
is and how it works is we we're basically think of us as a data engine, data analytics company. We are bringing in large data sets. Um, where I work, you know, we're we're wanting to bring in as much data as possible, um, payer data, other kinds of clinical data. Uh, we have a number of algorithms that we have developed over time. Uh, we have a clinical team that has produced. Um, from evidence-based research, uh, lots of clinical content that tells us what is important to look at in terms of patterns of care that are um, conducive to um, recovery and positive outcome and patterns of care that are not so conducive, um, all with a behavioral health overlay. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're looking at data, we are teasing out from that large data set patterns that are um, best practice, things that you would want to see, um, uh, using that to move the provider community to adopt those practices and implement them at the patient level, as well as identifying through the data patterns that are not optimal, mm -hmm. um, opportunities for care improvements, uh, ways to address care, perhaps that would not be otherwise visible or known uh, to the provider, but using the data to point them in that direction. So that's what we do on the back end. Mm -hmm. All of what we do with that then is pushed out to uh, payers and providers in the community in the forms of information. Think of this as a clinical information tool. Uh, so taking all of that digital data and um, you know condensing it down, bumping it up against um, analytics, and sending it back out to the provider and payer community in digestible. Um, meaningful clinical ways that they can use to shape the care system, um, shape how they actually uh, uh, build their system of care, as well as shape the actual point of care uh, with the patient between the caregiver and the patient. So it's a population health all the way down to very specific patient uh, recommendations. Um, so that's interesting. So when you when you say population health, I'm guessing that um, are your customers custom. Let me just take a step up. Are your customers those that have believe believed to have large concentrations of individuals that would have behavioral health issues? Is that really where your sweet spot is in the market? Um, that That is a large part of our customer base. I think more and more what we are also seeing is customer base that just has responsibility for a population of people in general. Mm -hmm. So think a health plan, a managed care organization, right. a large um, uh, ACO system, sure. you know, where they are responsible for serving a group of people and what they want to be able to do is know who those people are, what does that population look like, and what do they look like across all the myriad of health conditions, behavioral health conditions, comorbidities and multimorbidities of those conditions, where they live, where they live, and access to their provider system, and then know that within that large population where they need to fill in gaps in their care system, mm -hmm. as well as how they need to support their care providers in providing best care, appropriate care for the individuals. So are um, you finding cohorts of behavioral health care 
associating them with patients and then saying, okay, in, with, inside of this population, you have sort of this, this, these cohorts of depressives, anxiety, sus- potential substance abuse, like opioids, I would guess, or something like that. And maybe even you have a subset of, you know, schizophrenics and bipolars. Is that, is that what you're doing that's initially? Exactly, that's exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. Take a large data set. Um, think, you know, example would be a health plan that has, you know, a million covered lives. Um, and dig into that data that says, here are here's your cohorts cut by chronic health conditions, chronic health conditions with overlay of depression, anxiety, um, substance dependency, um, chronic conditions that are comorbid with schizophrenia or more um, you know, seriously um, impaired um, uh, behavioral health conditions. Um, here's what their patterns of care look like. Um, we use a machine learning approach that tells us that based on certain care patterns, what's the statistical association for an emergency room or a readmission into the hospital so that folks can begin to look within their large population, where are their patterns that are riskier, uh, both from a mortality um, standpoint as well as a high-cost standpoint. Um, and, you know, begin to then put together their care actions to hone in on that population and direct um, change in that um, care pattern in order to um, promote healthier outcome uh, within a reasonable cost. And is there, is there a, when I think about healthcare, obviously I think Medicaid, Medicare, corporate, uh, individual, right? Those are really the four, four markets. Is I, I would imagine a lot of this is Medicare and Medicaid. Is that is that fair to say? Um, a lot of what we do is in Medicaid and Medicare. Um, often, what you see um, is for folks, particularly folks with um, serious uh, disabling conditions uh, like schizophrenia, um, like mental retardation. They are very often covered under a, a public payer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a big part of our um, target market is Medicaid. Medicare. Um, however, um, as we were saying earlier, um, the general population, um, behavioral health disorders are not, you know, unique to a subset of the population. Right. They are, um, they're across our um, population. So, you know, third-party insurance, commercial coverage plans, self-insured groups, all have interest in the impact of behavioral health in terms of overall health um, and, um, you know, cost of care. Uh, so, you know, if you take it out, and opioids you mentioned is a great example. Um, you know, there's um, lots of attention now uh, that we as a nation, you know, have difficulty with understanding pain management, the experience of pain, um, and how the use of those medications can um, uh, be uh, both a help and a hurt uh, for um, people as well as populations in general. And, you know, that cuts across all, you know, um, all you sure. know, levels of um, society and and working working individuals. Um, so what we do has um, you know meaning for um, you know all the entire service system. Hi everybody, Tom here. Just going to interrupt this conversation for one second to ask you to subscribe to the Breaking Health newsletter. 
Breaking Health will bring you this podcast every week, as well as videos and reports on the digital health and healthcare space. Go to healthegy.com, spelled H-E-A-L-T-H-E-G-Y, healthegy.com, to sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. Now back to this conversation. So it, it, I just want to see if I sum this up right and get it right. So, so essentially a population presents itself, let's say a million, and I'm going to just gonna use Medicaid because I know there's a lot of behavioral mm-hmm. health issues there. A million Medicaid members, uh, you gather all the data. I'm assuming that's as whatever you can get your hands on, right? Claims. That's correct. Pharmacy yep. would be a big data set. You'd obviously have to get the pharmacy set. Uh, but certainly if you were able to integrate into uh, uh, hospital data, EHR data, and so forth, you would, be, you would do that as well. You, you have an, then an analytics forum in which you're able to take that data and stratify the population based on behavioral health issues. Um, what happens after that? Do you evaluate the care somehow through, uh, through, an, through whatever... Uh, algorithms and so forth to see whether or not the patients are being treated appropriately at high quality or, or, or anything like that? That's correct. Um, so yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, we, we often work with um, very robust claims data sets, um, and that includes pharmacy data, hospital data, outpatient data. Um, if we have available clinical data that is robust, um, and, and these would be, um, for example, um, uh, admit discharge transfer data on a daily basis where we can bring in who was in the hospital the previous day and, and, and incorporate that into the analytics or depression screening assessment data is a very um, useful data set in terms of looking at the impact of depression on um, overall health and health outcomes. Um, when we do that, we have a set of algorithms. Currently, we have about 350 algorithms that are either evidence-based or standards-based um, that are about appropriate um, uh, care uh, that involves behavioral health impact. Um, so all of that data we will look at against those algorithms, and it allows us to, within the larger population, bucket people. And if you think of this, it's bucketing by risk, um, you know, sort of low risk, um, standard care, medium risk, high risk. And that risk is associated with high cost, um, future emergency room, uh, risk for readmission, um, and also what are the care patterns that are associated with that risk that you could do something about Mm -hmm. um, based in what we know is best care. Um, So all of the algorithms point to a level of um, what we call clinical considerations that tell the payer and the provider, here are the things you want to think about for this particular population as well as this individual um, in terms of where their care pattern um, has been trending and what you might want to do differently to affect a better care pattern um, that has good chance for better outcome for the individual. Um, Then we look back at that, um, again, across the a million lives um, in this example, as well as at the individual to see if that information resulted in change in the provider system in terms of the actions, and then if so, did that have impact on the level of risk that was first identified? That's cool. That's really cool. Now, when... 
are you are you delivering when you say we i'm assuming you mean your computers right your your software is the software uh sold to the customer and the customer performs the actions with the software or is it a combination of software enabled services how is your business model today how has it evolved over time um, yeah, that, that's a great question. And when I say we, yes, I'm talking about our both our people here at CMT and the software. So, uh, you know, we are um, a software as a service model, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those analytics are in our analytic engine. Um, we are then pushing that data back out through a web-based portal to the customer. Um, that customer being the payer or the provider in the healthcare system, sometimes both. Um, usually both, Um, and they are taking the analysis of the population, all of these different ways of looking at the population and looking at opportunities for care improvement, and they are using that to drive their actions. Um, And those actions, you know, might be within the payer side. It might be actions such as peer consultation uh, to a prescriber around appropriate use of um, antidepressant or antipsychotic medications. It might be um, placing people within a more intensive care coordination uh, routine from the payer, people who are particularly high risk or at risk for readmission so that they can take quick action in terms of organizing their network of resources. Um, and same at the provider level. It might point the provider to people who um, the scripts were written for particular medications and the data is telling the provider they have yet to fill the medication. So it allows them to follow up and determine what they thought was on board in terms of the medication and doesn't appear to be um, what's going on. Maybe they need to get back in for another appointment or assessment um, mm-hmm. and take action. Um, CMT is an analytic company. We are not an intervention company. Um, Our philosophy has been that we fuel um, providers and payers with information that allow them to do what they do best. Um, Their their role in the healthcare system is intervention and action. Ours is a behind-the-scene. We bring what we do best, which is technical expertise, data expertise and clinical expertise to help them get value out of their data. Yeah, I mean, I've got to imagine that that if you find someone who's, let's say, addicted to opioids or has bipolar or schizophrenic or even really is, you know, clinically depressed uh, and they're not getting the right kind of treatment by moving them to the correct treatment, across the population, right, number of people that you find, uh, you have to be impacting their utilization of the medical system, right? We do see that, um, and that's a great, it's a great um, observation. It's amazing that when we focus in on behavioral health patterns, pointing our customers to areas where care could be improved, and that care moves, is the needle moves toward best practice. When we go in and look at what the outcomes are, both in terms of cost and care, invariably costs have gone down. Mm-hmm. 
and the most significant impact in that cost reduction is reduction in hospital admissions for physical health care conditions. Wow. And, so, and we see that, um, you know, we have a, a now a database that includes about uh, 19 million consumers um, across about a seven-year period, uh, you know, so repeatedly across our customer base. We're working in about nine states now um, across, you know, various payer and provider organizations, and that pattern repeats itself over and over in terms of outcomes. If you address the behavioral health disorder and you address it appropriately and within best practice guidelines, not only is the person's health better, costs go down. So it's it's counterintuitive because there's you know concern about, for example, mental health parity and what's that going to do in terms of cost mm-hmm. uh, cost to the payer. But invariably, if you get the care right and really address head-on behavioral health um, components, overall costs actually go down. Um, yeah, no, the side effects of opioids is pretty significant. I know that, and I know that if uh, you know if patients that are depressed or uh, bipolar are off their medication or on the wrong medications uh, that often, you know, they prevent, present themselves with you know, physical ailments as a result of that, right? That's correct. And we've seen in our data things like um, uh, for opioids, for persons who are what we would call opioid naive, in other words, they have not had an opioid script in the previous 12 months and they present at the emergency room and receive an opioid script. Um, so, you know, think about person who sprained their ankle or, you know, takes them into the emergency room, receive an opioid script. Um, if they are on that opioid script for 60 days post that presentation, mm-hmm. the chances that they will be on opioids for the next 12 months is about two thirds. About two thirds of that patient group wow. will be on that same script a year later. Wow. Um, yes, and so what that tells you is, and, and what, and actually, there's a body of evidence that the chance of dependency on opioids is much higher uh, when the first script is written from the ER. Mm-hmm. And also, the point of intervention is at that 30 to 45 day mark. Um, so the goal for a care coordination or a population health entity is to be aware very early on of that opioid script and be working uh, within, you know, well before that 60-day mark to make sure the pain management activities that are behaviorally health-driven are being addressed for that individual, not mm-hmm. just allowing that to be an opioid script only because you really want to move people toward managing pain um, uh, and, and yeah. you know, adjusting to that. That's so, awesome. Yeah, very interesting. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. It, it, I have these conversations every day with, with people that, that ask me, well, you know, what is this digital health stuff? What is this population health stuff? Give me an idea of what it is. And I always say to them, you know, the 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 medical system is 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 a patient initiated system right i mean we decide to go to the doctor uh nothing is is done for us after we we leave the doctor even though we're like leaving the doctor like with potentially harmful 
things in our hands. I mean, an, obviously an opioid is a good thing in the short run, right? It reduces, relieves right. pain and, and allows for healing to take place. But in the long run, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, you can ruin somebody's life if they, or certainly disrupt it for a short, for, for a meaningful amount of time mm -hmm. uh, if they become, become addicted. But the fact of the matter is if I'm a physician, and this is true, I've seen this, and I prescribe the opioid, I rely on you to come back to me and tell me what's going on. That's right. And what you're saying you're doing through your data is, is you're actually watching that patient from pharmacy data, I assume, uh, and, and finding out whether or not scripts are coming in uh, and whether the frequency of those scripts sort of exceeds the safety level. And if it does, then it's time to sort of get in there before it becomes a problem. That's right. And That's that right. is and not the way we practice medicine today, Carol, right? That is we, that is and, and, and it is a huge shift, Steve. I mean, it is a big shift um, to big change to yeah. move from patient-centric, patient, you know, point of care to think, thinking population. Yeah. Um, you know, so going back to your comment earlier, uh, and I see uh, payers and providers really struggling with it in terms of understanding and, and sort of understanding and knowing that the data is extremely valuable to them to understand who they're serving at a population level and to use that to drive change. It's very hard for them to figure out what to do next with it. Right. Um, so going back to your intervention, you know, component, what I've recognized is that um, you know, we are also, CMT is in a prime position to not only provide the data and information, but to also suggest what you might do with it. Um, because that seems to be the second place now. It's like, okay, so what do I do other than wait for the patient to show up for their next appointment? And it's, it's about doing outreach. It's about being more proactive. Um, it's about, you know, kind of shifting your fee-for-service, um, you know, model to, um, you know, thinking in uh, different kinds of, of um, activities. So that's where we are as a company is taking it now to a next step of suggesting what the interventions might be that you would consider. Again, not doing them, but providing a, um, a more direction and focus around when you see this type of population on these patterns, here's the kinds of things you might think about within your organization. And that all gets pulled together into, a, into this, pro, is it this ProAct product that I read about on the website? That... Yes, yes we, we, we do call our online solution ProAct, um, mm -hmm. and it is web-based. It is delivered, uh, you know, through, the, you know, to the, to the desktop, if you will. Um, so for the end user, you know, they're going to go in, um, you know, they're going to log in, you know, think of it as doing online banking almost, you know, you log in. Uh, but what you see then is all of your, um, the population that you're responsible for, um, and it is uh, in the view itself, it's bucketed by certain clinical concerns, clinical conditions, um, uh, clinical financial risks. Um, it allows the end user to go in all the way down to the patient level and, and pull up patient profiling um, if they're in a position to do direct outreach. Um, it um, provides them ability, you know, to sort, uh, you know, so if I'm a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a help home nurse care coordinator, um, I can pull up the 75 people out of the 2,000 that I'm responsible for. 
and begin to think of it as a patient registry, pull up those 75 people, determine who needs what care this month, um, and begin to take my actions and um, outreach, whatever whatever that might be. Um, okay. Well, I think we're coming down to the end of our time together. I want to just ask you one last question. Um, I know this has been been a you know a new experience for you as an entrepreneur and and, and uh, you know sort of the, of a driving force behind a company. So I'd like to I'd like to know what uh, what the culture is like at uh, CMT. What do you guys do there that makes you special, and how do your employees feel about uh, working there? Wow, what a great question. You know, I think what, you know, the culture here is, um, you know, we are, a, a, it's a small company, um, you know, we're about 32 staff. We have very, this is a group of people who are very dedicated. There's a very dedicated to the success of the company as well as have strong passion about what we do being um, of real value in the healthcare community. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people here who, um, you know, we're very mission-driven. Um, it's a mission-driven culture uh, where people feel like we make a difference, e- uh, even though we're touching data, um, that uh, there is a, a, a patient at the end of that data point that um, people uh, resonate with. Um, we're a very hard-working group. Um, but we have a, you know, we have a technology feel in it in that we're pretty relaxed and, um, you know, people come and, and uh, um, have a sense of, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, being able to, you know, work at their own pace, um, but at the same time, we're all very, very focused. So, you know, it's a, it, it feels, you know, we're in Raleigh, North Carolina, so we're in the RTP area, um, has a bit of a feel of, um, you know, kind of a Silicon Valley, if you will, on the East Coast in terms of our, our culture on the inside of the company. Um, Very cool. Very cool. Well, I want to thank you for, for joining me on this. It's, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you, and I, I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thanks, Steve. It's great talking to you as well. Hi, everyone. Thompson Lemmy here again. Thanks for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Thank you, Steve Cooper, for introducing us to Carol Clayton and Care Management Technologies. It's a great company in an important space. We look forward to hearing more from them. And again, thanks to our listeners for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Tune in next week for another tale of innovation.